0: Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 13, 112263. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitt. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, but today a novel, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creators intent audience reception and the content of the media all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take awesome. If you don't that's awesome too. Horror is a diverse genre and all are welcome. And before we get going on the novel that we're covering for today we're going to go to Joe's get to know you corner. Joe.
1: All right so for today we're Talking about JFK, well, uh, you know, eleven twenty-two, sixty-three, JFK. So, got me thinking about conspiracy theories. Naturally, uh, that there's so many conspiracy theories out there. I guess my question was, uh, what conspiracy theories do you guys find interesting, or n- not? Whether or not you subscribe to them or not, like, what do you find interesting? Uh, and then, or, or more specifically, what? what is an interesting conspiracy related to um, the JFK or like a take on the JFK assassination um, that you guys like or found interesting? Sorry. I know that's there's a lot of ways to take that question, um, but yeah, it's just conspiracies in general can be. So you can do some real deep dives on them. And I guess one of the things that uh, I'll, I'll start off uh, answering the question Um One of the things that I was thinking about with this are a few different takes that I've seen that I thought were interesting or funny or um, whatever on JFK. And um, one of those is uh, I don't know if any of you ever watched Red Dwarf, uh, but it's this old British comedy show. Uh, But it's anyways, the the point of it is like they're from like a thousand years in the future or something ridiculous or I think it's even more than that. But they, uh, the one character, uh, they travel back in time because he wants to find Curry. uh, But he accidentally ends up in the Dallas book depository and accidentally knocks Oswald out of the window and preventing the JFK assassination. And then they, like, he goes forward in time, like six or three years, I think it is. And, like, the world, or, it's in Dallas again but like it's in shambles and people have evacuated it and it turns out that um you know preventing the assassination led to some unforeseen consequences um and what <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh you know it turns out like JFK had some affairs and he got impeached and he's uh, like going to prison and that uh like opened the door for Russia to come into Cuba, and they made like Russia made a deal with the mafia. Um, so there's like the drug trade. Anyways, it's a whole mess that you know. Um, anyways, it led to all that, and the what ends up happening in the episode is they you know kind of show JFK this, and he's being like taken to prison, uh, but they they take him. At, uh, back to 63 and he and they convince him kind of to be the second gunman and really be like oh it's better you know ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do via country and so that you know he says that and he's like okay i'll be the second gunman and kill myself basically so it was a i don't know interesting take on the whole thing the other one that comes to mind is uh just X Files, uh, the 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 Smoking Man is the second gunman who uh, is down in the like uh, in the sewers on that one. Anyways, so that's a long story, but don't feel like you need to talk about JFK. If there's another conspiracy theory that's interesting to you guys, I'd love to hear about it. So, end of my rant.
2: So for me, I have. Definitely done a few deep dives into the whole JFK thing because I really liked this book and it sort of introduced that idea to me. But as far as like specific other conspiracy theories, uh, I was like just looking up some some ones that are popular online. But I had read this one before where it was that people believe that mattress firm is a money laundering scheme have you guys no, heard about the that no that's what I
3: was going to say
2: oh, i beat you i beat
0: you we had a buddy that used to work there so that's even funnier <laughs> yeah
2: okay well i can let you talk about that and then i can talk about another one Um, the other ones that I thought were kind of interesting, well, I've always thought, uh, like the Loch Ness monster was interesting just because I, like a lot of people theorize that it's actually like a dinosaur, like a plesiosaurus or something like that, that kind of just survived in that, uh, biome. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting one that you know, I don't know if I believe it or not. I know that a lot of people have seen things in that area, but I remember when I was in high school, I used to, there was like a live feed. It was like one of the first, I think that was like one of the first live feeds that was on the internet was of a camera that was uh, at Loch Ness where you could just kind of sit there and look and see if you saw anything. (laughs) So yeah, that was one. Rare, so that's mine.
3: Well, the one I was going to say was that Mattress Firm is a money laundering scam because (laughs) have you ever been to a town where there's an abnormal amount of Mattress Firm slash Mattress stores in one area? Why is that?
0: That's literally our town. It's full of Mattress stores everywhere.
3: Why is that a thing? something else going on
0: here's why i think it is in our town anyway it's because we're a college town and lots of people are just barely getting married and then they all suddenly need queen mattresses that they didn't have before at least that's why i've always thought it was like that here
3: Nah, it's a conspiracy. it's okay. also just
2: <laughs> weird because like who goes to a store to go like look at mattresses anymore even i don't know Just <laughs> interesting
3: And then I guess, in terms of government conspiracies, I just, I don't really have any specific ones. I guess I just feel like there are probably, like, groups and government organizations that we don't know about dealing with things that we don't know about as regular people. Area 52, perhaps even time travel... I don't know. I feel like there's, there's probably a lot more knowledge out there that we don't have access to.
0: So here's, okay, so here's the thing I think is interesting adjacent to some of those things. Is, first off, the idea of time travel. And I know, this is going to sound absolutely ludicrously crazy to some people. But the, th- the truth of the matter is, that through relativity, we've already established that you can, in fact, time travel forward. Because all that takes is the faster your vehicle goes, then the more time dilates for you relative to someone who's stationary. And so every astronaut that we've ever sent up has time traveled because they have spent less time traveling during their duration of going into space than we have experienced while we've been sitting here and so we've proven the concept that it works it's just we haven't been able to get anyone fast enough where the amount of time that they traveled forward in the future relative to someone that wasn't moving at that speed was more than just fractions of a second but the concept works we've already proven that as humanity
1: yeah it is it is very crazy to think about and mind bending
0: but anyway all you could ever do was go forward so that's it but in terms of conspiracies the one that i find the most fascinating is the people that are flat earthers that are just sure that this planet is flat and how crazy that gets to because some of them think that like there's just we're a flat plane and that there's a glass dome over top of us and everything we see in the sky is just like points in that dome and man it gets ludicrous some of what people believe out there flat earth wise if you're listening to us and you're a flat earther I'm sorry if I've offended you, but just kidding, I'm not. You really need to figure things out. Sorry.
3: (laughs) The idea of living in a snow globe is kind of romantic, though. That is fun. It's a big snow snow globe.
2: Well, isn't that cute?
3: But it's wrong!
0: (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I think about, too, at least as far as conspiracy theories is i know that there are also some people out there that think 9-11 was an inside job and maybe it's this is how people felt about the first conspiracies arriving arising around the kennedy assassination was the whole idea of like hey there's this is a real tragedy that really happened and affected real people and it feels really disrespectful that you're downplaying it and saying things like either it didn't happen at all or, and I understand if they think that someone else is responsible, then they're trying to get justice for it. But I guess those are one of the ones that bug me is maybe not so much 9-11 as far as people saying that it didn't happen at all. But, you know, you always see that at least with some of like school shootings, for instance, like people that think Sandy Hook didn't happen. And just how horribly, horribly disrespectful it is to the people that suffered through that tragedy to minimize it and tell them that they're lying is just absolutely God awful.
1: Yeah. And they thankfully just like convicted that one guy or uh, found him guilty, I guess, of, I wish I remembered the details of that case now, but the guy who was using his radio station to like say that Sandy Hook didn't happen and they found him guilty of, and now he has to pay like millions and millions of dollars.
0: Alex Jones with InfoWars.
1: Yeah, that's the one. Thank you for backing up my non non-facts. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. I conspiracies are something I've always found super interesting and I didn't bring it up on my turn, but like I always think alien ones are interesting and you know, uh, like Roswell's specifically I've got and just UFOs and all that I've got a I want to believe posters right behind me right now uh, but uh, it's whether they're you know true or not I think conspiracies are always at least interesting to read about and think about and think about what other people believe so yeah thanks for joining me in the corner on conspiracies
0: Yay. I do think, not to, I don't know, because we're out of the corner now, so. We can stay in the corner. (laughs) But the thing I think that it is interesting, at least that makes sense, is the problem of scale, which is at least a concept uh, that we will revisit when we hit our Gunslinger episode that we're going to be doing later. But yeah, just the idea that... I understand why you would want to believe a conspiracy if you're sitting there and you're saying, like, this this doesn't feel proportionate. How can one crazy guy who randomly got a job that randomly overlooked a parade route that he didn't know was going to exist, where the president just happened to be riding in a no-top car with a rifle that he bought like just all of those details how they all just come together and you sit there and you look at it, it's like that's just it feels like random chance but this is too important of event that's moved too much in history for that to be the case and so i understand sitting there and saying like yes it's got to be something proportionate it can't be this one grain of sand on this side of the scale and this whole mound of it on the other i there's got to be an equal pile for this to make sense in my head so I feel like that probably for a lot of people ends up being where a lot of conspiracy theories end up being born. Is just trying to make sense of existence in a way.
1: Yeah, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. And um, I don't know. I think you could trace similar ideas, but I'm, I'm sure I this is what you're getting at, I think. But I think you could trace similar ideas back to almost or all of the random conspiracies out there.
0: I think that's a lot of the motivation that comes from it is just people trying to make sense of the world.
1: Yeah,
2: for sure. There's definitely a lot of interesting deep dives into the JFK assassination in particular, so.
0: For sure. And then, all right, well, you're here, so you already know that we are covering the novel 112263, written by Stephen King. He has written, I believe, at the time of this recording, 64 novels. Um, some of those include the Dark Tower series, of which several of us are fans. And then some of his more popular work outside of that, too, would be It and The Shining, Pet Cemetery, and again, as the most recent book release as of this recording would be Fairy Tales. And the back of the book description for 112263 is. A high school English teacher in Maine, in a Maine town, Jake Epping, is stunned by a gruesome, enthralling essay penned by one of his GED students, janitor Harry Dunning. Fifty years ago, Harry somehow survived his father's sledgehammer slaughter of his entire family. But an even more bizarre secret comes to light when the owner of the local diner enlists Jake on a mission that has become his obsession, to prevent the Kennedy assassination. By stepping through a portal in the diner's storeroom, Jake finds himself in Jody, Texas, in the era of Ike and Elvis, of big American cars, sock hops, and cigarette smoke. But all turns in the road lead to a troubled loner named Lee Harvey Oswald. History is about to be rewritten and become a heart-stoppingly, suspense. heart-stoppingly suspenseful. As I understand it, Stephen King had had this idea to write this novel about someone traveling in the past to. Stopped the Kenny assassination going all the way back to the 70s. Because at least looking at some of Stephen King's other writing, uh, being alive during that time, the assassination of JFK deeply affected him. And so it's come up time and time again. Um, But at least for his trying to write this book originally in the 70s, felt like it was too soon. So he shelved the idea and figured he might come back to it later. And then later he published this book actually in 2011, and uh, we've got a couple quotes here about it, talking about it, because a lot of people generally think of Stephen King as a horror writer, so there was a particularly helpful article from the Wall Street Journal, Uh, it was called Stephen King's New Monster by Alexandra Alter, And, uh, if you can read it, that's great. You might not be able to, because the wall street journal is kind of irritatingly requires a subscription, which for better or worse, I understand it's a newspaper. They need to make money in order to do their thing, but I always find it frustrating, but anyhow, that's okay. So here's a couple quotes from Stephen King from that article talking about this particular book He says, I've never tried to write anything like this before. It was really strange at first, like breaking in a new pair of shoes. This might be a book where we really have a chance to get an audience who's not my ordinary audience. Instead of people who read horror stories, people who read The Help or people of the book might like this book, if they can get the message. And then later in the article, there is a section obviously just written by Alexandra Alter, as mentioned as the author of it. Um, Could I get one of you to read that?
2: Sure, I will read it. Alexandra Alter writes. Mr. King and his publisher Scribner face an odd challenge as they unleash an elaborate marketing campaign to promote 112263. How do you rebrand one of the world's most famous and successful living authors? Scribner is targeting history buffs with book giveaway promotions on bio.com and history sites. To reach news junkies, the publisher bought ad time on 11 p.m. news programs in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. The the 30-second ad which will also run on the CNN airport network and on the A&E and sci-fi networks shows archival footage of Kennedy's Dallas motorcade with a voiceover that says, what if instead of just watching history you could change it? Mr. King's book tour will include appearances at the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston and at the sixth floor museum in Dallas the site Oswald fired from. The Dallas Museum is preparing to host 1,000 people. Mr. King helped plan the marketing strategy. An unusual joint venture with Scribner grants him greater control than most authors over how his books are packaged and sold. He gets a relatively small advance for a best-selling author in the mid seven-figure range, and then splits the production and marketing costs and the profits roughly down the middle. He typically publishes one to two books a year.
0: Now, obviously, there's a few things there that may seem a little bit off point. The first part of it being at least bringing up the fact that Stephen King and Scribner clearly looked at this book as being a different genre than what he typically writes. And so they targeted different people. They had different ads, more to history buffs than anything else, and catering that way with the marketing. And then I included the back half of the quote because it was interesting to look at the fact that he was involved more with the marketing strategy here, I'm not sure if that's an unusual thing, but it did seem like it in terms of at least how they chose to market it. So him being involved with it and him putting up some of his own money towards that marketing, I thought was also kind of interesting and telling with the idea that they were trying to grab a different audience, that in concert with the quotation that we had earlier from him trying to find people that are more interested in historical fiction. And then there is another quote where Stephen King kind of relays an anecdote about just how he's perceived as a writer that I thought would also be useful. Can I get somebody to read that one?
1: Yeah, I can read it. All right. Uh, she said, I know who you are. You're that writer. You write those horror stories. And I said, Yes, ma'am, My guess. And she said, I don't read that kind of thing. I respect what you do, but I don't read those. I like uplifting things, like that Shawshank Redemption. I said, I wrote that one too. And she goes, No, you didn't. And she just went on her way.
0: (laughs) Which I think that's funny. Um, I wanted to, at least I figured I would share this later, but you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and share it now. Um, so one of the things that I like to do whenever we talk about anything involving a book is go to the website, goodreads.com because as I've mentioned other episodes where this has come up, you can, as a user rate a book in whatever genre or whatever listing you want. Some people just list it as part of their to-read list, but a lot of people list what genre they think the book is. So whether the book is or isn't that genre, at least you get to see a crowdsourced idea of how people perceive the book. So one of the things that I did, of course, was look at how this book broke down, which is uh, you had 32.5% labeled it as historical fiction, 26.1% labeled it as science fiction, 10.3% labeled it as time travel, 8.6% labeled it as fantasy, and then horror was listed as 7.4%, and then you get thriller at 7.3%, mystery at 3.7%, suspense at 1.5%, and then less than 1% labeled it as either crime or romance. And that is out of 20,000-some responses as of the beginning of February when I first looked at that. But another thing I did, because I was curious to see exactly how many people put Stephen King novels in the horror genre, and so what I did is I looked at which genre was picked first for each of his 64 novels, and in that case, 78.1% 78.1% of his novels had horror as the first pick genre. Uh, fantasy was the first pick genre for 15.6 books that included the Dark Tower series entirely, Fairy Tales and Eye of the Dragon, and then 3.1% uh, were labeled as Thriller first, which was Mr. Mercedes and Billy Summers, and 1.56% was labeled as mystery first, which really that just equates to a single book, and that's The Colorado Kid. And then lastly, the only book to be labeled his historical fiction was eleven twenty two sixty three. 63 The other interesting kind of fact that came along with that, as far as the data goes, is that every one of his books had horror as the second most picked genre if it was not the first, and the only exception is the book that we're talking about, which is Love in 2263, where horror was the fifth pick genre as we just related. So it stands apart from his other books in a lot of ways. And then the other thing I thought was at least worth exploring was how many of his movies are labeled as horror, which is a lower percent uh, than you would think, but still it's still very high. Which is 72.3% were labeled on IMDb as horror. And then for books that, for uh, movies that weren't labeled as horror, you had 17% labeled as drama, uh, 4.3% labeled as action, 4.3% labeled as crime, and uh, 2.13% labeled as adventure. Now, when you're getting into those percentages, this is out of 47 some movies. So it's like one was one movie was labeled as adventure, two were labeled as crime, two were labeled as action, eight as drama. So anyway, it was interesting to see how that breaks down because of course everyone thinks of Stephen King as a horror writer and clearly predominantly a lot of his stuff does get labeled as horror, but this is definitely the exception in how that's labeled. Um, The other thing is that there is a Hulu series that exists for this And while it is not the same material, there are changes and there are tone shifts There usually are in adaptations. I thought it was at least looking at the meta tag data from that where seven sites labeled it as drama, five labeled it as sci-fi, one as thriller, one as romance, and one as mystery, but none as horror. And then of course, looking at the Google and Wikipedia search trends, um, as we've kind of covered in the past, a lot of horror tends to have boosts in October, but you don't get that with this book. In searches, you get what you would kind of expect, which is that there are a bunch of Novembers where you get more searches for this particular book. So now that I've talked your year off with a bunch of statistics, how did everyone label this? Is 112263 horror?
1: I did not think it was horror. I say, not horror,
0: also.
3: Also not
0: horror for- 100% the same. I did not consider this to be horror either. So before we get real knee deep into that, just as kind of a quick question, since we haven't covered a book before, I wanted to see what are some of the differences in the horror genre as it applies to books compared to movies, in your opinions.
1: I think we've we've talked about this with some other kind of long format things and it's just a a longer game and it's hard to like decide like what's the percentage of horror that has to be there for it to be considered that. Um, So I and I do think it is harder for it to get there with the long format. So I don't know I guess I don't have maybe a super great answer for the question but just that there is a lot of other bars to jump, I guess. I I guess for me I have read
2: a lot of horror novels. Um I kind of feel like a book has to work a little bit harder to to instill horror or to to maybe cross that line into horror because it is Sometimes your imagination can create things that are even more terrifying than what can be on the screen, but I don't know, sometimes I feel that more so movies and TV are, have a little bit of an easier job of presenting things that are going to leave a lasting image on you or frighten you or scare you. For example, with The Shining, The Shining is uh, an example of a book that I feel a lot of the time is is more of like a thriller in the book. A lot of it, there are definitely horror elements and I still think it's a horror book. Whereas I feel like the movie just feels a lot more horror, for example, or any adaptation that I've seen of The Shining feels more horror uh then perhaps the book does. So I don't know, I feel that that's just my take. I, I feel like sometimes uh books have to work a little bit harder to establish the horror feeling.
3: I also feel like movies have the advantage of being like very carefully crafted. So they've got they've got timing that has the timing of delivery of lines that has been completely Um, you know, set by the director, they've got lighting, they've got music that adds to the emotion that you're feeling when you watch it. Whereas you don't have all of that stuff when you're reading alone and the timing of the line delivery or the tone in which you read the lines in your head is completely up to the person. So I feel like it's a lot easier to convey the emotion you want to convey in a movie where it's all laid out by a director whereas in like like i said in the book the director is the reader so it really depends if you suck or not at being a horror director
0: yeah i think honestly that's exactly what i was thinking too is that that idea right is you're the one that's being the director when you're reading a book so yeah if you're not being a good director it might the horror of the situation might not come across at all the line deliveries you may not get right you may not understand the sarcasm of what a character is trying to say like it could be lost on you entirely that's true I do find that aspect of it interesting because of how interactive it is in that way and how less controlled it is I think the other thing too that you end up with in books that you don't end up having as often with movies is that books are less afraid to straddle a lot of different genres and to inhabit a lot of different genres throughout the run of it so I think that It's a lot easier for a story that has horror elements to not necessarily live in them for the whole thing and say like, all right, well, we're going to go to this genre for a bit. Now we're going to go to this genre where I think that when you're having a bunch of people work together and pony up money to put together a film, there seems to be a lot less, uh, a lot less interest in doing things that can be a bit experimental that are harder to label. And so there's a lot more of a push to try to keep things consistent and granted that is less so with smaller productions. But I think just the more money you get into a film, the less weird it tends to be. Usually, obviously there's exceptions. Whereas, whereas a book can be as weird as it wants to be as genre hopping as it wants to be. So I think that's at least an element of it too.
1: I think along with that, uh, the ability for it to kind of genre hop. I, I I think the, like the long format style books or whatever has an, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's got the advantage of kind of giving you a slow burn on some of the horror. And I think when it's done right, it can be really good. Um, but it can, it can kind of you know, give you the hints of the horror or take you into it for a minute and then like keep that tension at like twenty or thirty percent through a lot of the book and kinda let keep it like close to the surface, but don't doesn't necessarily jump into it a lot. Um but you you're never quite sure that it won't. I guess I've noticed that with uh the horror books the, the books that I consider horror, it, that can be done really well. And in the meantime, it can give you a little hint of it and then jump into some of those other genres and uh, play with some other ideas, like you're saying, Steve. Uh, but like that horror is still kind of low level and you're still thinking about it. You know, Oh, that one line where he said, oh, that was the last time I saw him alive. And then you're sort of like sitting there thinking about, oh, well, okay, I guess, yeah, these characters don't meet up again or you know something like that or what's going to happen um but i think that's maybe an element of of that that's a little harder to do in like a hour and a half movie
0: well that's definitely something that king likes to do is give you a paragraph and then just at the end of it throw that line of dialogue just letting you know and then but they would all be dead by then or something like that and you're like wait what the hell
1: (laughs) yeah exactly And then it goes on its merry way for a few chapters and you're sitting there like, when is something going to happen that's going to take us to that? So, yeah.
2: That's like his favorite plot device being like, yeah, it's so funny. Does that all the time.
0: The other thing I think of too, in terms of books that they get to do that I think makes it a little bit easier in some ways with the horror genre is in a film, a second is a second unless you wanna go slow-mo, and some movies do, but horror usually doesn't lean on slow-mo. It's usually more the territory of action movies. Whereas a book can take, if it wants, it can take 20 or 30 pages to describe to you what happens over the course of two or three minutes. You know, it can take a moment that only lasts a second and give you in excruciating detail the horror of what someone's experiencing in that flash of moment. So I think that at least that is interesting in the aspect of horror in writing as well. As uh, you know, maybe in a movie, someone gets stabbed with a machete, but in a book they describe what they were thinking at the time. And then when the piercing happens, the not understanding of what they're feeling and then seeing it protrude, and they can extra- describe all of it in excruciating detail, which can really like bring the horror home of what that moment actually would be like, as opposed to a random slasher where machete through the chest, the end, it's over. You know, I think that aspect of books is really, of course, intriguing in the horror genre. So talking about eleven twenty two sixty three, what sections and scenes stood out the most in the book as having a horror tone to you? Like what were the best contenders for the idea that this could be a horror novel?
1: I think for me, the things that stand out that are more horror are, you know, like some of the stuff that happens in Dairy, and it's, I, th- I think we'll talk more about it, but it just sort of like, it's kind of fun and interesting for it to like dip its toes in the, in Dairy and in it uh, a little bit and it definitely conjures up the idea of horror, whether you know, whether it even is or not, even that section, whether that section is or not, it's still like, makes you think about it. Cause you're like, well, um, you know, Pennywise is hanging out under the sewers at this moment. So that's definitely one of them for me. And a few of the, like more violent spots, um, like, uh, like the Dunnings' home and uh, when Sadie's husband attacks and also towards the end when they confront Oswald. We can get into more. I'm sure we'll get into more details about those, but yeah, those are the spots that stand out to me.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, for me, it is kind of hard to pick out any spot that really is horror, but uh the spot where he's in Derry and looking at kind of the sewer drain uh, feels like it's when well, it's referencing it's referencing it there, but uh, that that certainly feels like a little bit of a horror moment, supernatural supernatural kind of uh, moment, and maybe some of his dealings with like the Yellow Card Man and later the green card green card I don't know whatever the other whatever the not uh messed up wasn't the yellow card's man named Kyle the the guy that's not Kyle uh uh yeah. the those kind of dealings feel like maybe a little bit more horror related to me somehow but I I truly don't think that there's much in this book that can be construed as horror Yeah
3: I agree um my, I didn't really have any moments I felt were super horror either. Um, I guess one like actual moment again is also in Derry. I guess Derry's were the hot spot for horror in this book. but I felt like when he was when Jake was trying to stop the whole attack and nearly getting caught or you know just putting himself in that risky situation where you know there's a violent madman was a little horror, but I don't know. I feel like that's more suspense. and then, um again, kind of like what Matt said, any time there was like a reference to Jimla or a reference to somebody knowing something more than they were telling, or a repeat of something that already happened in another instance of time was unsettling I don't know if it's full horror but it was like oh it's almost like when you like heard that or read that you knew something bad's gonna happen so I don't know that was a little horror to me
0: I would agree with all the moments everybody's kind of referenced there I think yeah the parts in Derry felt to me like a little bit of a tour of the sort of book that he that King usually writes while taking place in Derry and having it feel that I know lends that reference, obviously, to it. But him stopping uh, the Dunning father from killing his family, that actually felt a lot more like something out of The Shining to me, particularly. But uh, yeah, I think that's the elements in that part of the town is where in that part of the book in Derry is where it most felt like horror to me and then there was a few places like you said like jim law references and maybe the yellow card and the green man green card man had a little bit of elements of that mystery about it but uh what genre do you feel that this book belongs in
2: uh i would say this is firmly historical fiction
1: Yeah, I can't dispute that too much. And then, like, historical fiction, romance, because I feel like that's a big core of this book, too.
3: Interesting. I'm going to put it, I'm going to give it three. I'm going to put it in historical fiction, science fiction because of the time travel, and suspense slash mystery. Because I personally felt like I never really knew what was going to happen, and I was trying to guess. So, I was kind of
0: curious, since we've got a few people saying historical fiction, we had the majority of people on the Goodreads site putting in historical fiction. Um, Do you feel like, because historical fiction could be horror, historical fiction could be sci-fi, it could be fantasy, do you feel that historical fiction qualifies as a genre or is it more like a facet of an existing genre? I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious to hear what people say about it because it's not a traditional genre in the way that you would think of.
3: It's like a (laughs) co-genre. It has to go with something else.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like you could, because I've read a few different historical fiction type books. And I, I feel that they typically tend to lead more down either a horror or science fiction path than anything else. Like, you don't read a lot of historical fiction where it's like, where there's not some other kind of like science fiction or fantasy element. There's not, I haven't seen historical fiction that's like, Abraham Lincoln falls in love and you, and you follow his love story. <laughs> like, you don't see a lot of historical fiction like that. You do see Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter.
3: <laughs> I mean, personally, I disagree. Because... Okay. But I'm also the only female in here. And I might seek out some of those. Because I'm, I'm thinking of movies and, and TV, because I haven't read enough for historical fiction. But... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of historical fiction out there right now that's like romance and drama. Okay.
2: Well, I value your opinion. I'm glad that we have your <laughs> voice in the room.
3: But there is a popular one right now, Homelander. That is that is science fiction and historical fiction.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, romance. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah that's prob- that's pretty romance. Yeah, I would agree with that.
3: But it's also about time travel.
2: But would you say it's more romantic or more? It's probably more romantic than science fiction, I'd say. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I would say that this book might even be more
1: romantic than science fiction. Hey, that's what I said. Yeah, good one, Joe. Good, Good thought there. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So one of the things that I also kind of wanted to touch on since we brought up the idea of this being sci-fi specifically, or at least being partially sci-fi because of the time travel element, do you think that time travel is always the realm of sci-fi? Because there are a lot of different stories that involve time travel that either don't really explain the method or even maybe have a magical method and i tried looking up for instance a bunch of different time travel movies just to see if they end up getting put in the sci-fi category and looking up stuff like um let's see what's the christopher reeves movie time and time again and seeing that one put in sci-fi even though it's a meditation method that he uses to travel through time so it seems like that usually is the designation. Anyway, I'm being very wordy. Do you think that time travel, regardless of the method, automatically puts a story within the sci-fi genre? And if so, why?
3: Before I answer your question, can I go back and fix something I said? Or you can cut it out? (laughs) Sure. I'm going to make a correction. The show that I was referring to is not Homelander. It is Outlander. Homelander is about superheroes. I messed okay, that up. Sorry. I
0: thought you meant Outlander.
3: Yeah, that's what I meant. Outlander. I was
2: confused too, but yeah. I, For I a second, thought... I was
3: like, well, "That doesn't sound right."
2: I thought you said the right <laughs> thing too. Yeah, but
3: I'm leaving
0: this in because it humanizes humans.
3: Just cut everything out. Everything I say is wrong.
0: <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> Just most of the stuff.
3: Now, to answer your question about the time travel being sci-fi, yes, I think it's always going to be sci-fi if there's time travel until time travel becomes real
2: i kind of disagree with you now the more that i think about it i feel that there are kind of a couple sub of time travel stories and i feel there are quite a lot of time travel stories where it's more of it's like specifically focused on romance now that i think about it And then there's time travel that's like specifically focused on the sci-fi aspects of time travel. So
3: I agree. Like I kind
2: of agree slash disagree with you. No, because now I'm
3: thinking of examples of other genres where there's time travel. Like Mm -hmm. fantasy and just romance also. Or just like, you know, mom mom movies (laughs) with time travel in it. Like the Time Wasn't there The Time Traveler's Wife? Yeah. Yes.
2: That yeah. was one that I was specifically thinking of as like more that's almost not sci-fi even though it has time travel.
0: Yeah. Because they never explain the method in that and you do see plenty of people label both the book and the movie as sci-fi despite no method of how the time travel is accomplished ever being mentioned.
1: I think it almost always gets labeled that but I don't think it should.
3: Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm a, I'm going to revise what I said. I think it does depend on the way its a time travel is approached and explained because a lot of the times it's either not explained or it's explained because magic exists in the universe. But I think if you're living in like a contemporary, if you're having a movie where they're living in a a contemporary time, magic does not exist and there's time travel, then I think it's more likely to be science fiction. Especially in a book like this book where it's like the time itself is an entity because then it's like definitely something bigger than regular fiction.
0: So that's the big next question, right? Is the time travel in this book science fiction or or could it be fantasy? Or does it even have to be either of those genres?
2: It's kind of where I was getting at is that science fiction, if you tried to tell me that this book was a science fiction novel, just just that, like this is a science fiction novel, I couldn't get behind that. I, I don't think I could. Just because it is almost just like the time travel just kind of magically happens. Nobody really knows why. Um, it's the method of it is not at all the main focus of the story. The me- the focus of the story is is the mission that he is going through back in time, which is saving JFK and then his romance. Um so yeah I I don't know I I think that this falls under that example of a time travel story that is just barely science fiction because time travel warrants being called science fiction but where it's way down the list of what the actual focus is in my opinion
1: yeah i don't have much to add to that just to agree like i don't think it's science fiction it's more in the realm of or at least the method of um, time travel is more in the realm of fantasy to me
0: to me i think where it comes from and maybe this is where the distinction is if you're time traveling you have two options right you can go to the past or you can go to the future if you go to the past like this book does then you're never dealing with advanced technology if your time travel method doesn't use advanced technology, which in this case, it doesn't. There might be a physical scientific reason for its existence, but there's no machinery, there's no future technology used in order to do that time traveling. However, if you go the other direction, if you go into the future, you will always be dealing with some form of enhanced technology, whether it's very close to what we use now and just mildly speculative or so far in the future that you're dealing with technology that we're only imagining at this point. So I kind of wonder if that's what it comes to is basically if you're time traveling forward, you're always going to run into tech that you, that you don't really understand and that maybe automatically puts it in the sci-fi category. That being said, feel free to comment on that of course. But we do have two characters, the yellow card man and the green card man, or we'll at least call them for now despite the changing colors of the cards, who are implied at least to be from the future and have what seems to be a piece of technology that we don't currently have. So would that element of it maybe shift it towards sci-fi? And of course we already mentioned that they might shift it a little bit towards horror, so feel free to elaborate on that too.
1: So Sorry, the question was, do do they shift it more towards sci-fi?
0: Or horror. Sorry, I always do that. I give you like a whole road salad and then like a question thrown at the end. Mm-hmm. Do the yellow card man and the green card man, being from the future, having some technology we don't understand, lend the story more towards the idea of sci-fi with its time travel? We'll cover that first.
1: I don't think that it... I, I mean... It, I guess, yes, like, they must have some technology, some future technology, but I don't th- feel like it's shown or highlighted enough um, for it to really matter. If they shift towards anything, I th- I guess I'd say it's more towards the horror side and not as much towards the sci-fi side. And that's, I think, mostly because of, like, they're showing the effects of – um time travel or like the, what the effects are having on them you know they're slowly degrading they're slowly like losing their grip on themselves Um and that's I guess more in the horror realm for me rather than the sci-fi realm I think
2: you hit the nail on the head with the idea of that since it's traveling to the past then the futuristic elements and things like that are not the focus where if it was traveling into the future, you almost have to have sci-fi and future tech as, as a focus of the story. Those guys to me, don't put it over the edge one way or another. And being in the past, I think helps maintain the focus on, on the historical fiction aspect of things and not on sci-fi in general.
3: I guess I'm still over here in Camp Sci-Fi because I still think it is sci-fi, this type of time travel. Um, Maybe because I'm, like, approaching sci-fi differently. I don't feel like sci-fi necessarily needs to have any kind of futuristic, like, appearance. I think, I don't know. To me, sci-fi is just any story that uses some kind of technology that we don't have in the real world. And in this case, it's... The ability to time travel. Um, So I'm still thinking it's sci fi, especially because the yellow card man and the green card man, and also at the end of the book, it was also kind of revealed to Jake that like the FBI might know about this, also tells me that it's like it's something that a lot of people know about, a lot more people than he thought knew about it, meaning it's like it's a bigger deal than just his little secret. And that leans me more towards sci-fi also.
1: I can definitely see that. I get, I I think it would have leaned more towards that for me if there was a little more explanation about the, the card men. Um, And I I mean, they kind of tell you what's, what their deal is, but like, I I don't know. I, I would have liked maybe a little more from them and like, how they're moving through time or how they're doing it Uh, where with like our main character with Jake, he uh, pretty well literally just trips into it. I mean, he's told where to go, but you know, he's doing it, but he doesn't understand it at all. I don't know that that's not saying it's not scientific or that it's not being done through technology of some sort, but I, I, I guess just it's maybe just, not the focus of it but i don't know i'm sort of walking myself in circles here because i definitely see your point mitts about it's still like it's still a potentially a form of technology that's being used so i don't know i guess for me it's just not a big enough focus for it for me to put it in one of the top classifications of the book sci-fi as one of the top classifications
0: not to further the sci-fi argument because this is this podcast is called is it horror not is it sci-fi but that being said i think my question regarding the time travel in this is that is it technology though because so for i'm just going to go ahead and take something else we've watched recently which is the last of us so in the last of us as we talked about in that episode, and feel free to check that out, you have the idea that everyone's being turned into zombies because of this fungus and the fungus evolves. And so then it, you know, moves over to humans. So now we've got this thing that is a natural phenomenon that evolved in such a way that now there are zombies. And so I think that one reading that you could have of this book is that the time travel isn't technology in and of itself it's merely a natural phenomena since they describe it at least the yellow card and the green card man as a bubble that sort of formed and so if we're going with the idea that it's a bubble that formed no one created it it just is a natural occurrence that sometimes would happen anywhere in existence but it just happened to happen in this particular place linking it back to this particular time so is that technology or is that saying here's a natural phenomenon that wouldn't normally occur that has happened in this situation? And if you're thinking about it in that context, does that make it less sci-fi? I guess to me it does.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe that maybe that's kind of what I was thinking, but you put it in a better way. It's just like I, it could be technology, but I guess it's not the way it's described i i don't feel like it has to have been something f- from technology like it almost it feels very much like uh a thinny like from you know other stephen king stuff like it's just sort of a like kind of ripple in the fabric of reality kind of thing that i i don't know doesn't quite feel like technology to me yeah
3: that's a good point I guess in my mind if it's not a technology and it's just like a freak thing it still feels like sci-fi to me because then it then it becomes something a little bit more sinister like almost like like an entity like something freaky that we need to contain like the Upside Down or aliens or something like that
0: Which is a good lead into, I guess, another question with this. How did you feel as time as a force in this story? Because you have it working against him throughout it. Why does that entity, that awareness that time has in trying to stop him, does that not feel, why wasn't that enough to push it into the horror genre?
1: I think one aspect of it for me that didn't quite, work as far as it being a horror thing is like it didn't it 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 was like fighting against jake but only sort of with all the things that time is supposedly doing like why couldn't it have just made jake have a heart attack or something if it really didn't want him doing what he's doing and so like i never i never really was thinking like times going to just like straight up kill him it's just sort of like inconveniencing him so it didn't it didn't feel like a like super real threat to him it like I don't, I, I don't know if that makes quite sense but it, it certainly did you know hurt him it certainly did like get in his way but I guess the story was never framed in a way that I ever thought that he was going to get killed by it
2: that's another thing. Uh, going back to the idea of the of a book versus cinema, um, even if you just look at the TV adaptation of this series, they really kind of jazzed up and buffed and polished that whole idea that the past is actively fighting against Jake uh, for the for the TV screen. In the book, you're almost you're almost meant to feel like Jake is sort of just imagining these things or could be just imagining these things because um, there's no there's nothing actually physically proving that these are these that these aren't just coincidences that he's having his car break down I mean he he himself essentially causes uh, with his gambling to like him being in the hospital and having to like relearn what's going on with his life just in time in order to save JFK so it, the book sort of leaves it up to your adaptation of your sorry your your imagination uh, as to whether this is actually something that's really happening or not uh, whereas the the TV show kinda made it like okay there's actually maybe real-life people working against him in some of these situations. So I felt that it was less horror um, having it be where you're. it's kind of up to your imagination whether you think that the past is actively fighting him or not.
0: I agree at least in my interpretation of this because i have my head canon about how this all works and how it fits into the dark tower universe because all stephen king stuff sort of can fit into the dark tower universe if you try and there's well, all things different. serve the beam yes all things serve the beam and so i kind of my interpretation of it is that some of the things that he thinks are harmonizing since they don't out and out confirm that that's what's happening Aren't actually, aren't actually harmonies. It's just him. It's one of two things. One, it could be the idea of like if you buy yourself a jeep, then you're gonna notice how many jeeps are on the road because that's always what happens, right? You buy yourself a car, and then you notice how many other people have that same car. They were always there. You just weren't paying attention before. So that's option one.
3: You know what? There's gotta be a word for that. There has to be. I'm gonna look it up. You continue <laughs> with option two. <laughs>
2: there is there's definitely a word i know that i've seen it but go ahead
0: no that's fine i'm interested to see what that word is the other option too is that stephen king has a lot of characters throughout his books that all have various forms of what has at least given a name in the shining as the shining and the shining is all over the boards in terms of what powers and things it grants you And I haven't been able to find any articles exactly talking about this, but I think that maybe what you're dealing with is some form of Jake having some level of the Shining. So it's less that the past is harmonizing and providing with clues that of things that are going to happen. It's just that he happens to have the Shining and he happens to be noticing things now that he's in this extraordinary situation that's kind of brought that ability a little more to the forefront, but he's interpreting it in some ways as the past giving him hints and harmonizing because he's doing this fantastic thing. So why shouldn't that be part of what he's already doing instead of a secondary newfound ability? He just didn't realize he had.
2: It could just simply be also that he is being moved by Ka, which is the Steve and King in universe, uh, representation of fate or destiny and as he's being moved and affected by it he's beginning to just recognize it for what it is because it whenever Ka is a concept in a Stephen King novel the main characters uh, seem to recognize it in what they're doing Uh, and most of them and you know it could be that he has some form of The Shining also because he sort of forms his little quartet in this group, which is uh, also the Stephen King in-universe thing for whatever the group of people is that gets together to fight the evil force. Um, so I think there's a, just a little bit of all of that, maybe.
0: I do have a lot more dark towery thoughts on it, but maybe I will leave Thank some you. more of those towards the end. But the other thing I guess I wanted to kind of see how you felt about adjacent to this is we've got basically the story the way that it's written it functions as a found manuscript right it's the story that jake is writing the secret book that he is writing to the audience if there is an audience he <laughs> anyway uh, do you feel that that device removes some of the tension of when jake is in danger like it's harder to be worried about him since he's writing this book and clearly he must have been able to finish it to tell us about it in the past tense
1: i definitely think that is a factor Uh, i mean because yeah like you said he's he's there to write it so it's kind of goes along with what i was saying or it goes hand in hand with what i was saying about like the past working against him doesn't ever feel like he's, it's trying like real hard to work against him cuz you know however you choose to interpret that like he's not the past isn't just killing him and you know he's there to write the book so none of that says that he's in any like exact real danger so i i think it does lessen the tension a bit
0: It's like the past is somebody that desperately wants you to leave a room, but rather than push you out of the room or stab you, it's just going to sit behind you and flick your ear. That's the level of the time trying to stop him.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think purposefully the book makes it so that you're never actually worried about Jake living or dying. You're just worried about whether JFK is going to live or die or anyone around jake living or dying and how that might affect him but i feel like it it's purposefully not putting him really in any mortal danger that you're going to worry about him dying you're just more worried that he's going to fail his mission
1: yeah the the structure of the book is is definitely that way and you know even from the very beginning uh you know it is a found manuscript so you know that he was around to to write it and he starts it off by like saying i'm not a crying man so i, I don't know just that little hint is like okay well he's around but this bitch is definitely going to cry at some point too
3: <laughs> i found the thing in case anyone wants to know what it is i want to know <laughs> the thing yeah all right it's called the bader meinhof phenomenon the bader Reinhoff phenomenon, otherwise known as the frequency, illusion, or recency bias, is a situation where something you recently learned about suddenly seems to appear everywhere.
0: Yep. So there you go. I really think it could be that kind of thing, whereas it's, it's not the past harmonizing, it's just him noticing things. Because we're not with him every step of the way, every single moment of every day, we're hearing what he thought was important to write about later. It could be tons of coincidences that he didn't write about and it could be that there are no other coincidences that he notices like if you wrote a story of your life how many coincidences could you end up setting up and giving some sort of meaningful thought to that don't actually exist i think we all could do that if we went and decided to cherry pick that now obviously i feel like the story means for you to think that that's really happening and there's certainly implication at the end but I feel like it's perfectly valid to read it as him having the condition that you just mentioned that i not the the phenomena that you just mentioned, whose name I now can't think of. But anyway, yes, couldn't easily be that to me.
3: I also think a lot of times he cites the well, OK, so if as as a reader, I think the harmonies are actually supposed to mean something. I think they're actually supposed to, like, represent that time is fluid or whatever but as a friend to Jake I would probably be like dude you're stretching like this is a stretch like I think it was Sadie's middle name or something was Doris I think or was it was Sadie and then he's like oh I knew a Doris like okay (laughs) it's a common name (laughs) like I don't know it's stuff like that I was like I don't know about that one Jake
0: yeah, and it makes it a little bit hard because we have no idea whether or not Sadie's face would have been slashed before he had done any of this time traveling. We know clearly in the you know quote-unquote fixed timeline that that happens, and we know in the normal timeline that Harry's family is killed with a sledgehammer. So you could, if the th- same thing happened to Sadie with her getting stabbed by her ex-husband beforehand, as he postulates that it maybe did then is that a harmony you noticing that those things sync up or is it just two unrelated events that you're giving added meaning to because they're important in your life you know and like you said it's a bit of a reach anyway it's like ah middle name should have known
2: well it's uh in the light of recently having groundhog day can quote bill murray that maybe god isn't omnipotent he's just been around so long that he knows everything That's kind of what's going on with Jake.
0: So one of the things that I think is interesting about this book is people labeling it as horror. And I think that the reason that that does happen is because they're used to what Stephen King generally writes. And we do have some moments that feel like Stephen King moments. But I'm curious... To me, anyway, this book feels more like a Michael Crichton book because Michael Crichton tends to research something heavily and then write a book that tends to have a little bit of a more or less info dump feel to it about all the information that he learned. So if you saw this book on the stands and it said Michael Crichton on it and you read it, would it even enter your head that it's horror?
1: Not for me. I I think Stephen King's name on the cover definitely has some implications
2: yeah he he carries that weight if this was written by somebody completely different than him i don't think that it goes on the shelves as horror even though stephen king this definitely isn't the first almost completely non-horror novel that stephen king's written by any means uh there's a lot of you know under the dome came out before this and I think many people would even argue that The Stand isn't horror. So, and obviously a lot of The Dark Tower has some horror elements. That's, you know, that's a whole other question. We're definitely, we're actually doing that. But yeah, it's, he carries that name with him because of some of his most famous works. But but yeah, if, if, I, if I saw Michael Crichton's name on it or somebody else, you know, it doesn't go on The Stand as horror.
0: Did any of you think, going into this book, reading it for the first time, that Jake was going to succeed at saving JFK?
1: I thought he would, but I always thought it wouldn't be roses and whatever. I thought it would go badly for one reason or another.
3: Yeah, agree. Or I thought he was never going to do it because it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to show that you cannot change the like threads of time or whatever.
2: The first time I read this was in like uh, many years ago, like 2013. When did this come out?
0: 2011, roughly. Uh,
2: I, and I, I don't really remember. I don't feel like it crossed my mind that he would fail when I was reading it at the time. Cause it kind of just felt like they were leading towards him succeeding, but then the consequences of that were more what was in question in my mind. I feel like it's hard to say exactly how I felt at the time, but I felt like it was more of a, when he succeeds, how's that going to change things was more my question and feeling.
0: And I think that's kind of where I ended up with this too, is I, felt like in the way the book was promising two things. One, that he would be able to stop the assassination, and two, that it was going to be, the world was going to be worse off for it happening. I feel like the book's all but promising you that almost at the outset of it.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: So then my follow-up question to that would be, Since we knew going in how things would turn out if Jake failed to save JFK, since that's the world we live in, JFK himself is really only in the book for about a paragraph of actual dialogue. Did this make the success of Jake's mission feel fairly low stakes?
3: Yes.
2: Yeah, for all the talk that they do initially about a watershed moment and this is going to make everything so much better, yeah, like, I I don't, I can say that I didn't feel bad that it ends up getting reset, him saving JFK, you know, like, you don't, I, I just, I personally didn't feel like I cared too much about if it changed or if it didn't change. I was interested in Jake completing his mission for that reason, but it wasn't like, oh, I, I hope that he saves JFK. So yeah, it did kind of feel low stakes because you're like, oh, well I know that everything, I know how things are gonna be if he doesn't, and it doesn't seem like it's that bad." So, <laughs> not to be callous to JFK, sorry, man.
1: Yeah, uh, and like for all the kind of talk of the butterfly effect and all that, that and how bad it can be, like it's it's sort of a thing that it goes through the book with talking about it a lot but not giving it a lot of regard um, and thinking about how, I mean, certain things he's like, oh, I need to be certain not to, like, let Oswald see me because maybe if he sees me then he'll not, that'll slightly change his path. Uh, but uh, but he's not concerned about all the other, like, butterfly wings that he's, um, that he's, sending out into the universe just by being there and by being a teacher, by um, all the other people's lives he's affecting. And then, so, I don't know, I guess all of that kind of made me feel throughout the book that that whatever he's going to do is most likely getting reset because he's going to have to learn this lesson one way or another. So, yeah, it all... It all did, I guess, feel a little bit low stakes, except for, except for like the romance part of it, because, you know, you, you want that to work out and the two can't really happen. You can't reset and have that happy ending.
0: The other element that I thought, at least for me, I think was hinted at, or maybe, maybe existed, maybe didn't. I'm curious about your opinions is I feel like Stephen King, at least in some sections of the book, almost gives a supernatural element to Lee Harvey Oswald and his goal. Like there's maybe some force behind that. I kind of look at them in two different ways, two different examples at least of that, is when he's going to stop Lee Harvey Oswald, Uh, He has this moment where, at least in the book, he describes it as, uh, let's see, Uh, for a moment he was just Lee, the guy who had laughed and played with Junie in the bath, the one who sometimes hugged his wife and kissed her upturned face, and then his thin, somehow prissy mouth wrinkled into a snarl that showed his upper teeth. When that happened, he changed into something monstrous. I doubt you believe that, but I swear it's true. He stopped being a man and became the demonic ghost that would haunt America from this day on, perverting its power and spoiling its every good intent. And then another passage I won't go through and read, but he basically talks about seeing the book depository and describing it almost the same way that people describe the Overlook Hotel as it looked like it was looking back at him and that he had this dark feeling from it and that he could almost hear it talking in his voice goading him to come there in the same way that when he was at the Kitchener Iron Works, he felt like it was goading him to come inside, which we know from reading It, the Kitchener Ironworks is where Pennywise was. So in one section of the book in Derry, you're getting It and his reaction to that place in the same way that he's reacting to the book depository. And you have later in the book, Sadie seeing the Book Depository and also reacting in the same way that this is a horrible place, that this is a cursed place. So at least for me, I'm reading that and I'm thinking that King is trying to put a supernatural element on top of Lee Harvey Oswald and his motivations and who he is and what he's doing. Did any of you read it that way? And if so, did that lend it more or less towards horror? Do you think I'm completely off base?
2: As I was to say, I I do think that uh, it definitely was his intention to add like a sort of supernatural element to it, or almost give the impression that Lee Harvey Oswald is more than a man, or more than yeah something supernatural about him, or or those locations specifically. Uh, but I don't. I still don't feel I feel that those are the closest things to horror elements of the story, but I I still don't think that it that it's enough because it's it is what's the word? It's not black and white in those situations. Like he's not saying Lee Harvey Oswald definitely was turning into a demon in that moment. It it was sort of speculation sort of just an opinion a feeling so i think leaving it that way makes it feel that it's definitely not horror but if it was something more clear-cut then yeah you could be leaning more towards horror but leaving it up to your imagination and your own interpretation of things and just giving jake's point of view uh i think Helps it to stay firmly out of the horror.
3: Um, I guess the only interpretation of him being supernatural is sort of this feeling that he is like he is ascribed, or I don't know how to describe this. Um, he is like assigned by fate to commit this job, and that that's kind of like what the entire story feel, feels like. It feels like. Because history is so unwilling to change that this must happen because it is part of like fate and Lee Harvey is the has to be the monster because I don't know, it's just the way it has to be. I guess that's the only kind of supernatural I can see, but it still makes those passages really sinister.
0: So another thing, too, about this book, and we've sort of touched on a little bit here and there, but haven't really dug into, is some people classify this book as a romance. Obviously, there's not that many of them, but there's definitely that element to it and also that designation listed for the TV show. And that is a big part of this book, is Jake being a man out of time and falling in love with Sadie, and a lot of their relationship takes up a bulk of the book. So that's, I think, at least where most of your tension comes in for me in this, is when you, instead of taking the big plot of saving JFK, you take the small elements of saving Sadie as a big one, and more dramatic an element, but to a lesser degree, saving Harry's family from being killed by the father. So I guess to say, like, did you feel a lot of tension surrounding Sadie's safety and what was going to happen with her, since we didn't know what happened to her in the normal timeline for most of the book? Um, Did you feel tension there? Did those elements, especially when she's attacked, feel more like horror to you?
1: It it certainly, that's where the tension came from for me, I guess, because I do think that the core, the heart of this movie, of this book is kind of that romance like if you took that romance out of it if you took the character of Sadie out of the book I feel like this would become a very dry book about like a almost procedural of like just Jake kind of going through the motions of killing killing five years in order to get to the moment that he needs to try and stop Oswald and that just it wouldn't wouldn't have any like real personality to it, I guess. Um, so it did matter a lot more to me how that was how that was going to happen and how that played out and what's gonna happen to Sadie. And uh, yeah, I guess just the short answer, yeah, that is where a lot of a lot of the tension came from for me.
2: Yeah, you definitely feel fear and tension for her, especially when she's being uh, held hostage there by her ex-husband. But that whole situation there where she's being held by her ex-husband and there's danger for her, I don't know, none of that feels like horror to me.
3: Yeah, not me either, it's like suspense. Yeah,
0: yeah. I would agree. I think I think maybe you can make an argument for some of the scenes, but yeah, I would say mostly it feels like suspense, like a thriller sort of moment more than horror, just in the way that it's written. And I think I, I look at the whole book that way too, is that King is definitely exercising different muscles while writing this, and he can't help but lean into horror a little bit with some of the stuff that he's doing, because that's what he knows best. But I think that he does a good job of staying out of that territory keeping it a bit lighter especially i'll say too in terms of the audiobook which is kind of that was a fun listen i do listen to a lot of audiobooks as opposed to physically reading books because i think that's fun too as far as the performances go but yeah definitely the audiobook uh the uh gentleman whose name i have to look up now because i think there's some interesting trivia surrounding him but anyway um Yeah, I think that it does a good job of never straying too far into the horror territory. And because you as the reader get to visualize what's going on, even when there is horrific imagery, of which there is occasionally, like the idea of, you know, what is ostensibly probably around a 10-year-old having his head caved in with a sledgehammer, like you, you hear that, but you don't have to see it you can gloss over that in terms of your reading and visualization of it and that keeps it from ever getting too heavy or so heavy that you're like this is this is out and out horror and i can't deal with it i think like it just it gives you a little bit of an out in that way sometimes okay the the piece of trivia i was going to say about the audiobook i was just looking at real quick is the person that reads the audiobook is craig wasson who you may know from Uh, playing Dr. Neil Gordon in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, which I just thought that's kind of fun. So we do have somebody that's a veteran of at least a horror film reading the audiobook version of it. Okay, so as many of you might know who've listened to our episodes before, we, at least some of us here, are big fans of Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. The Dark Tower series is a set of eight books that he wrote over the course of basically four decades, more or less three decades, I guess, really, but it was something he's working on for a while. And, uh, it is kind of this fantasy, sci-fi, horror, Western genre mashup. That is the backbone of all of his works. Most things reference the dark tower in some ways. And, uh, So I thought it was worth at least bringing up a couple ways in which this book seems to be connected to The Dark Tower. So one thing that I'll mention is that the number 19 is of significance in The Dark Tower series. Uh, What you feel it means or doesn't mean, that is a little bit open to interpretation. But 19 comes up constantly in The Dark Tower series and then comes up in his other works as a reference to that so in terms of this book you get that both jake and al both live at number 19 on their respective streets and then also 19 comes up in various ways as part of prices like for instance gas being 19.9 cents per gallon uh they also stephen king likes to do this thing where various numbers in the series add up to 19 if you take all the individual numbers so there's a few references that way as well Um, When he plays cribbage with Andy Cullum, there's a hand apparently in that called Mystic 19. So those are just a few places where 19 gets referenced. Uh, Another thing that you have that references the Dark Tower series is that in the alternate future, Jake sees a vehicle that is called the Takuro Spirit, which... uh, Our quartet, our group drawn together by Destiny in the Dark Tower series, they see a Takuro spirit in this alternate version of Topeka, Kansas that they end up in, in Wizard and Glass, and then that's brought up a few times in the series after that point. Um, The other thing, too, is just part of the book taking place in Derry, Maine, is also at least somewhat of a connection to the Dark Tower, because first off, The creature, it, Pennywise, is said to be the same species of creatures as a character that shows up in the final book of the Dark Tower series. So that's one connection. And there is another book that Stephen King wrote that also takes place in Derry, which is Insomnia. Uh, Insomnia is connected to the dark tower in that it references two major characters that show up in that series so the crimson king and patrick danville both show up in insomnia and in the dark tower series so uh, it happening insomnia happening in derry and it happening in derry also kind of connect that location up to that world um, the other thing they'll mention is that there are Cullum sell pretty cheap in the King verse so you've got Andy Cullum here and you've got John Cullum in the Dark Tower series so there's also that connection. Um I don't, for those of you that have read the Dark Tower if you see any other connections feel free to tell us. And did any of you guys notice any others if you happen to have read both the Dark Tower and
3: 112263. I did I have not read the Dark Tower, but I do have another easter egg. Uh, the car that he keeps seeing around town is the same car that was in the book Christine, in the movie Christine. That's oh, all I got.
0: Interesting. <laughs> That's pretty cool. See, I didn't catch that one because I, you know, despite being a John Carpenter fan, I haven't seen Christine and I haven't read the book yet. I need to rectify that.
3: Uh, it's a Plymouth Theory. I couldn't remember what it was But I just googled it, again. googled it again That's pretty cool
1: Only other one that kind of That I kind of noticed was I think it's the Dunnings that live on Cossett Street And like the like nursery rhyme From Dark Tower has chasset. It's not exactly right But it was close enough to make me Think of it at least
0: That's fair I do remember looking Through the book to see if it could find that word in there Yeah. All right, so here's, I guess, and then I'll give kind of my theory on how this connects up with the Dark Tower universe a little bit by way of it as well. So the Dark Tower, for those that don't know, is basically a structure that is in the center of all of existence. And it itself is supported by a series of six beams that all meet in the middle at the tower itself. And the Dark Tower series as a whole is about saving the beams that hold up the tower in order to save the tower, because if the tower falls, then all of reality will be plunged into darkness. Because the idea is that there's our reality, that's everything, and then outside of reality is what's called Todash space, which is just filled with darkness and creatures. And so if the tower were to fall, everything that's in Todash space would overrun reality and basically we'd all be stuck in darkness with creatures hunting us for the rest of our inevitably short lives. So in this way, I think what you're dealing with in 112263 if you want to be somewhat of an apologist for some of the story narrative ideas just to kind of make sense of why time reacts the way it does, why it is willing to fight in some situations and not in others, and why you get the kind of reaction you do when Jake gets back after changing things, is the idea that his traveling in time is weakening the tower, and that if he continues to push and change things, then the tower will fall. So that is ultimately what's at stake with this. And so he's basically, I kind of view it as that there's a chess match going on between So there's various gods in the Stephen King universe, and one of those gods is Maturin, who is the turtle, and that is referenced in 112263 when he meets up with Bev and Richie from IT, who that book also references that the turtle is kind of what drew together their group in IT, and they kind of loosely understood that. So I think that maybe what you've got at play here is the turtle, Fighting to keep things from changing and you've got whatever malevolent entity is also working to help Jake So if there are harmonies leading Jake towards Keeping things like being able to succeed in his mission or avoid Being hurt in order to continue then it is whatever that malevolent entity is guiding him and whenever you have something fighting against him, it's actually the turtle fighting against him, and so that's why it's not interceding with every change, it's just interceding with changes that it's going to, that it knows are going to weaken the tower. And then the other thing that you get along with that is uh, the idea of when he does save JFK, and there is all of this, uh, these earthquakes, they're not earthquakes, they're beamquakes which is another idea in the Dark Tower series of when the beams weaken, then there are those quakes. If they shatter, there are worse quakes. So I think that maybe that's actually what you're getting with all of those random earthquakes that can't be defined, is it's not, as Jake describes it, harmonizing that's resonating across the universe. It's actually beam quakes that are existing. So that's kind of how I view this in terms of things. And then that puts also into context the idea of the yellow card man and the green card man, who could easily be part of the Tet Corporation, and the Tet Corporation being the organization formed by our group in the Dark Tower, our group of heroes, to help safeguard the tower, and also uh, Rose, which is connected to the tower. So it could be members of the Tet Corporation that are monitoring this unforeseen time bubble that could cause damage to the tower and of course there's nothing necessarily to confirm or back that up but I think that maybe that's part of it and that's also why I think it's possible that Jake has some version of the Shining and that maybe he's able to pick up on this dark entity's guidance to keep him just safe enough to complete his mission And the turtle is maybe just perhaps too nice to out-and-out kill Jake because the turtle is supposed to be a somewhat benevolent and nice entity overall. But I guess that's how I see what's happening here and how it would connect up with the Dark Tower and how you would explain why the past picks and chooses when it's willing to intercede.
1: Yeah, we kind of talked through some of that the other night and I... I I like that explanation a lot. I like it when things connect up with the Dark Tower in in various ways, and a, a lot of that really sort of fits for me. I'm not sure if uh, Stephen King meant for much of much of that to be there, but I really I do like how it fits, um, and it makes it makes sense that the the Card Men are from the Tet Corporation and also that you know i don't know that they are working under benevolent means too because they could have just come in and killed jake too but they are instead just trying to warn him so i i don't know it all makes a lot of sense to me i guess
2: yeah it wouldn't surprise me if uh, stephen king did think about that exact thing or very near it just because obviously he does think about those things because all his worlds are interconnected. Yeah, I I often thought that there's at least something going on with the beams and destabilizing the dark tower as part as as an element of this story. So I definitely agree that that probably has something to do with it. Um, and if Stephen King didn't mean it that way. Well, that's why it's up to the imagination, right? So that we can still believe it.
0: Teehee. All right, well, we've gone a little longer than we normally do, but does anyone have any other final thoughts before we close off this episode then?
1: See the turtle, ain't he keen? All things serve the fucking beam. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of Is It Horror? I'll have a couple notes here. One is that in two weeks, you can join us for our next episode where we will be kind of going and covering, we'll be covering Beetlejuice. And for the month of March, we're going to have two 80s movies because we're going to be talking about both Beetlejuice and Heather's, both including Winona Ryder. So that'll be kind of a fun month. And then the other thing I will say upcoming in connection with all of this is So obviously, we talked a lot about Stephen King in his Dark Tower series, and I understand that maybe not everyone here has checked that out, but if you are interested in that and you do want to learn a little bit more about that, our 19th episode of this season, we will be covering the first book in the Dark Tower series, The Gunslinger. So uh, there's a little bit of time to check that out and be prepared, and you can learn a little bit more about that series, um, because it's just great. So, but anyway thanks for joining us i have
3: been steve
0: i'm joe i'm matt
3: and i'm the yellow card woman mitts <laughs> <laughs>
2: bye bye nerds
0: thanks for joining us at is it horror we post new episodes every other friday think we didn't give this movie a fair shake think we missed something do you have a suggestion for future episodes or did you just want to say hi If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?